1: of a March Madness edition of All Around Sports. we each Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsportsoneword.com. As always, it was another wild week in sports, and as usual, I will discuss the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that dominated this past week. In a half hour, I will welcome Nick Fasulo of NBCSports.com and SB Nation, who, like me, is also covering the NCAA Eastern Regional up here in Boston. And in the spirit of March Madness, my highlight of the week is last night's instant classic between Syracuse and Wisconsin, which I attended at the Garden. It came down to the final buzzer, just what you want in an NCAA tournament game. And given Wisconsin's deliberate style, I was surprised they did not get off a better shot. Settling for a long three and a desperation heave off the miss, and then finishing with an unused timeout. Coach Bo Ryan, after the game, talked about the timeout, saying that uh, he likes to keep his timeouts in case he needs to go to an inbounds play. He always likes to have his uh, passer off the inbounds to have a timeout in his pocket, so he kept it, and they're going to carry that one into the offseason. But it was an absolutely spectacular game, and we're going to get into that and much more in the second, third, and fourth segments uh, of the show. And I must give credit to Syracuse on that final possession for uh, playing very, very tough zone defense on that play. Now on to my low light of the week, which is... Related to Bountygate in the NFL. And the low light is the news that a congressman has proposed setting up a committee to investigate bounties in sports. I'm never a big fan of Congress getting into sports. And it usually only happens when the sports are not policing themselves. However, based on the punishment handed down led by Sean Payton, New Orleans Saints coach being suspended for a year... NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has shown unequivocally that he is policing this situation now and, I'm sure, forever. And I fully expect other commissioners will follow suit in their sports. So uh, all I can say is, doesn't Congress have bigger matters to police? My bizarre, bizarre story of this Peyton Manning week is related to, of course, Peyton Manning isn't everything these days. Uh, But the bizarre story is the Jets bringing in Tim Tebow, turning that already circus-like atmosphere down in New York into an even bigger circus. At minimum, Mark Sanchez is in a fragile position with their passionate fan base, and now they will just be screaming loud and long for Tebow the moment Sanchez makes a mistake, which, given his history, will likely come in the first half of the first game. The situation will then spin out of control as Tebow Mania takes over. However, this time it will be on the NFL's biggest stage in New York City. Ultimately, I believe the Jets brought Tebow in to win back the back pages of the New York tabloids from the Super Bowl champion New York Giants. And now back to March Madness and the fabulous last two days I've had the good fortune to spend up here in Boston covering the event. And the best is yet to come tomorrow when Syracuse meets Ohio State with a trip to the Final Four on the line. But my week started with uh, the NCAA on Wednesday afternoon when all four teams, meaning Ohio State, Syracuse, Cincinnati, and Wisconsin, they all practiced at the Garden. It was open to the public for free. So a nice crowd made its way in. into the garden despite the 80-degree weather that we're having up here this week. It was a great take with uh, the teams taking shots from mid-court, putting on dunking displays, and just generally creating a very, very fun atmosphere. As the teams rotated through practices, press conferences were held throughout the afternoon with all four coaches and select players, and uh, I will be playing sound bites from those coming up in the next segment in about five ten minutes. Last night was even better, as college passion ruled for a day in and around the garden. Usually just a professional mecca, but certainly turned over to college sports for this weekend. Walking to the garden late yesterday afternoon uh, was absolutely exhilarating. There was a sea of red everywhere, given that three of the teams, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Cincinnati, all wear red. And it was just everywhere. However, Orange still dominated, since uh, Boston is actually a Syracuse stronghold. Tons of alumni from Syracuse live in and around Boston. Plus, it's a very drivable uh, distance to boot, and Orange fans were everywhere. Inside the arena, the buzz was absolutely electric, with the uh, the pep bands, the cheerleaders, the students. An alumni such as Derek Coleman, former Syracuse great, all creating an atmosphere that you just simply cannot get in pro sports or any other sport. The Syracuse-Wisconsin game was an instant classic, as I referenced earlier. It was really best summed up by Syracuse coach Jim Beheim afterwards when he said, It was the best game anybody has ever played against us without beating us. And I thought that just summed it up perfectly. The Syracuse crowd was just unbelievably loud. I was sitting directly across the court from them, so it was just deafening throughout. And the Wisconsin Badger crowd was uh, equally energetic, Uh, just simply not as many of them there, but the ones that were there made plenty of noise. One of my highlights from the game was watching uh, Syracuse sixth-man Dion Waiters He's just an amazing athlete to watch up close and personal. He is uh, instant offense, as we all know. He clearly looks NBA ready. He was like a man among boys. And although he's known for his offense, it was he who played the D on Wisconsin superstar Jordan Taylor on the final possession who was forced to take a long three. And speaking of threes, Wisconsin hit 14 threes in that game, which is an amazing number to make and yet still not win the game. At one point, they hit six in a row. And it was equally interesting because, especially in the first half, Wisconsin plays one of the most deliberate offenses I've ever seen. It appears like they go down to within one or two seconds of the shot clock on nearly every possession So, uh, you know, to see them firing up all the threes was interesting, number one, but to have their final play of the season be what felt like a rushed long three was uh, equally surprising. Second game last night was an interesting one as well. It was uh, Ohio State versus Cincinnati, who, by the way, has very, very cool uniforms, uh, highlighted by uh, flaming Black pants with, like, flaming red throughout. Uh, They were really cool, really different, very unique. College basketball's version of the uh, Maryland football uniforms, you might say. And uh, this was a game of runs. Uh, Frankly, the first half was not overly interesting um, in that Ohio State just seemed to have a strong stranglehold on the game. And, uh, you know, at halftime, basically, I and I'm sure most of the crowd just thought – you know, don't expect much for the second half. But give Cincinnati credit, the uh the Bearcats came absolutely storming back out of the gate at one point with a twenty-seven twenty-one to seven run to take the lead, uh, with around fifteen minutes or so in the second half. And uh but ultimately it cost them as they just ran out of gas and then uh Ohio State went on to an eighty-one sixty-six victory and it was a real treat to watch jared sullinger he is a beast and quite a physical specimen very very thick through the middle and someone who again talk about nba ready he is absolutely nba ready and uh but it was just a great game um you know, early in the second half, as, again, both teams made runs, and uh, once Cincinnati finished theirs, Ohio State kicked it back into gear like they had in the first half, and, uh, and pretty much won going away. Uh, a lot of turnovers for Cincinnati, which is what led to, uh, led to Ohio State, again, winning pretty easily. So now, as my former co-host, LeMont Williams, from outside the huddle likes to say— it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. And coming back on the other side will be some of the sound bites from Wednesday afternoon's practices.
0: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice of America Sports
2: sports have become a big part of everyone's lives today we all have that team that we live and breathe to follow we watch hours of football on tv play madden sports on our gaming system and our wives can't seem to tear us from the couch if this sounds like you or if you're a football wife who wants a few words We want to hear from you. Listen for Life, Love, and Sports featuring your host, Ron Dixon. Ron takes you inside the world of sports and finds out what you, the fan, are talking about today. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports.
0: When it comes to youth and high
3: school football, listen each week to Coach Al Gross at First and Ten Football. Coach covers vital topics relating to the latest trend on a national level. Join Coach as he interviews personalities from the NFL, NCAA, and the top high school coaches from around the country. Catch all the interviews and get in-depth information online at www.firstandtenfootball.com, your national resource for youth and high school football. First and Ten Football airs Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports.
1: Back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. Well, back to March Madness, and specifically the press conferences that I covered the other day on Wednesday with coaches and players from each of the four teams here in Boston, Ohio State, Syracuse, Cincinnati, and Wisconsin. And they were all happy to talk about how pleased they were to be here up in New England, both being part of the Sweet 16 and playing in this this tradition-filled city and venue, the Garden. So let's start with Wisconsin coach Bo Ryan, who's as big a personality as you've all perceived, very likable guy, and what Bo had to say about playing here in the Hub.
0: of the basketball court, to be with you, we're not sitting here. I, we only get 50 minutes, so we, we try to take advantage of every minute we were out there on the court. Uh, we've been in a couple of facilities where if you are get intimidated by banners, uh, I don't know how at North Carolina they can fit another banner up there in the Raptors. It's so crowded. Uh, and we played in North Carolina this year. But I, there's a lot of great tradition here, I, you know, I'm so old that really there was only one game, on a week. A lot of times it was the Philadelphia Warriors and the Celtics, or the Philadelphia 76ers and the Celtics. And I I've told a lot of people I happened to be on the Bob, the Bob Cousy committee, and I, it, it was the most exciting phone call I ever received was to be asked to be on that, because
1: every time I saw Coozie play, I would go to the playground, and if it was real cold, find that if, whenever I could get into a gym, and always picked up one move every time I saw him play. So that's a connection to Boston. And what Bo Ryan was referring to when he referenced the banners was the fact that when the NCAA tournament is held, all the arenas are genericized meaning all semblances of professionalism are removed, which in the case of the Boston Garden means taking down a lot of banners, not just Celtics, Bruins as well, retired numbers also. So uh, the, the garden looks a little bare, and, uh, but nonetheless it is the garden, and here's what uh, Wisconsin superstar point guard Jordan Taylor had to say about playing in the garden.
0: Uh, to be honest, I didn't even I didn't even notice that until somebody said something to me afterwards. I, I was really looking for it. I think just just being here, and knowing, uh, like you said, the, the tradition and the history behind the Celtics is uh, I think that's still a wild effect already. Um, so I mean, obviously not having the banners doesn't really take away for us. You know, uh, you we know, we know what all those guys have done. We all grew up watching and I grew up, but you know, grew up hearing about guys like that, and then obviously seeing them on the on the classics and stuff.
1: And next up, uh, we have Syracuse coach Jim Beheim, uh, who, by the way, has a really dry sense of humor in these press conferences, and uh, you know he's actually a pretty funny guy, which which I did, wouldn't wouldn't have known prior to uh, sitting in on one of his press conferences. But the Orange have quite a history here in Boston. You may remember it wasn't too long ago that. Uh, Boston College was in the Big East, and Syracuse and Boston College had an immense rivalry both in football and basketball. And here's Coach Beheim talking about uh, the old days with Boston College. I
0: was pretty advanced today, but uh, we had great games here in Boston. I mean, really great games up in the little gym. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Coaching against Tom Davis and Gary Williams up there, and uh, I remember the shot against Boston College, and it don't matter. That one I remember a little bit better. But I remember when we switched down, played in the Boston Old Boston Garden. It was pretty pretty cold in there. But uh, it was a great rivalry, and uh, uh, I'm sure it will be a great rivalry again. But uh, a lot of great
1: games, been a lot of great games in the college over the years. And uh, Syracuse player Chris Joseph also had a lot to say about uh, his coach Jim Beheim, and for Beheim it has been a really interesting year. On one hand, one of the most successful years in the history of Syracuse basketball, and that's saying something. Yet, on the other hand, they've been, uh, you know, dogged with many issues, starting with the Bernie Fine situation at the beginning of the year and then uh, continuing on with, you know, some drug allegations and it's just been one of those, again, trying years. Beheim has clearly done maybe his greatest job coaching ever and uh, not to, you know, and then by the time they get to the tournament, of course, uh, Their center, Fab Mello, is ruled, uh, is taken out of the tournament, ruled ineligible uh, by Syracuse themselves, and uh, so he's just done a great job, and here's what uh, one of his players, Chris Joseph, had to say about his coach. He's part
0: of He's our leader. The way he's handled everything on and off the court has
2: helped us a lot because, you know, he's our leader. He's everything to us, and we go as on how he's acting, with everything that's been happening as far as when he's point off the court, he's been handling it mainly in a fashion. So, you know, we look at him through tough times like this, and and he he, he was great throughout the whole thing and allowed us to be even better because all we had to do was worry about basketball, and that's the main thing. He's a coach, and that's all he worried about, so it helped us, you know, over all the tough times that we had.
1: Going back to the playing in Boston theme, Cincinnati Bearcat coach Mick Cronin, a real up and comer in the coaching industry, uh, had this to say about playing up here in Boston.
0: Well, but, you know, as a young coach, for me personally, it's exciting. You're playing with the Celtics play. Um, you know, I'm a big Kevin Barnett fan. Um, you know, he's always been an deepest guy, uh, but you know, I've always been a big fan of his intensity. Uh, we, have, you know, we don't know each other. We have a few mutual friends. Um, People that have worked for him, uh, so you know that that part of it for me is exciting. But you sort know, of, Boston's a great city. You I mean, uh, know, of course, it's always bright and sunny here this time of year too. So we wouldn't go on anywhere, but
3: uh, it's great to be in Boston. It's a great, you know, great city, great venue, uh, and uh, the opponents
0: time uh, as well.
1: And like Coach Beheim. Uh, <clears throat> Coach Cronin at Cincinnati has also had a a bit of a trying year, and I'm referring, of course, to one of the seminal moments of this year's college basketball season, which was the huge brawl between Cincinnati and Xavier, both, uh, both located in the city of Cincinnati, so they're huge, huge rivals. Needless to say, Xavier is still alive as well in the Sweet 16, although Cincinnati is now knocked out. But uh, here's what uh, Cincinnati star player Yancey Gates had to say about uh, the brawl.
3: Tough situation, as you know.
2: You get time, you know, sit back and you know, think about different things, and you know, talk with different people, you know. So uh, I mean, it was. I took it as you know, just you know, growing pain, you know, in my process of becoming, you know, a mature adult.
1: Well clearly uh both teams put the brawl behind them again Xavier's still alive and uh Cincinnati put up a good fight and made it to the sweet 16 but will not be making it to the elite 8 and but who will be making it to the elite 8 is Ohio State and their absolute superstar Jared Solinger who surprised a lot of people when he stuck around and one person who was very happy was their coach uh, Thad Mata, and here's what he had to say about Jared Sullinger. Met,
0: uh, you know, it's probably hard to, to put words uh, in, in terms of exactly what he's meant to this program for two seasons, and um, you know, even right deeper than that, when he committed to us uh, back at a really, really young age, you knew you were getting a great player. You knew that uh, um, you know you were going to be able to build around him. Uh, you know, the thing that i think with jared i've said this all along is, is jared's a winner and and he's wanted at everything that he's ever done and um you know the, the fact that he's got great passion and, and loves the ohio state university that's one thing that we always try to find between these guys that appreciate the university and what it stands for and, and he definitely does that and carries himself in such a way and you know, not, not even to get into the basketball side of, of, of all the things he's done for us because he's been he's been
1: great And Sullinger himself, uh, again, quite an interesting player to watch. Uh, He's from Columbus, Ohio, so he stayed home, uh, not just to attend Ohio State, but he also stayed after his freshman year to uh, stick around for his sophomore year. That's what he is currently. And, again, uh, he is the player to watch in tomorrow night's huge elite, Elite Eight matchup. And here's Sullinger himself talking about his own stock, about my
0: stock personally, but uh, this decision was, uh, I think, was the best for me and, uh, and my my goals. Uh, I want I want to leave uh, if I leave is just with winning. And um, I mean that's the biggest thing for me. As long as we're winning, I'm happy. So uh, as far as the stock comment, I, I can care less about that. It uh,
3: it really doesn't matter to me.
1: So Solinger was uh, very impressive, uh, very articulate and affable, and uh, I think he's going to go well go far in the pros uh, in the NBA. He's just uh, a real player, and he has the personality to go along with it. So again, uh, he is, in my mind, the key player to watch in tomorrow night's uh, great classic matchup of ohio state versus syracuse what's time for our break and joining me next will be nick fasulo for nbcsports.com and sb nation who like me is also covering the ncaa eastern regional up here in boston
0: Flagship station for sports.
1: Voice America Sports.
3: Ready for in your face sports? Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about? Either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go. You're not going to be shy here. Tune in to Here's the Deal with Mega and Steel, featuring Ike Mega Griffin and Sydney Steel Justice. We've got the facts to back up the talk and invite you to join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, just before the weekend on the Voice America Sports Channel. We tell it like it is.
2: The job of a professional athlete is never complete.
1: 346 9144. Well, on the line now is Nick Fasulo of NBCSports.com and SB Nation, who, like me, is also covering the NCAA Eastern Regional up here in Boston. And welcome, Nick. How are you doing today?
4: I'm great, John. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, quite a week up here in uh, Boston for Hoops fans like ourselves. And uh, why don't we start with last night's Instant Classic, the Syracuse-Wisconsin game.
4: Yeah, I mean, Instant Classic is the best way to put it. I think coming in, you were saying, okay, well, Syracuse has weathered the loss of Fab Melo as best as they could. I didn't think that he would have a... You know, his not, being play, not playing in this game wouldn't have as big of an impact against Wisconsin as against maybe Kansas State. Wisconsin wanted to shoot the ball. And they did, but, you know, Syracuse showed how balanced they are by countering a lot of Wisconsin's threes with solid execution and playmaking on the other end of the court. Exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, I just thought that, uh, I mean, Wisconsin's pace, you know, especially in the first half, uh, you know, they're known for this and they usually drag their opponents into their game, but it is just so deliberate. I was stunned at how... Frequently, they went down to under five seconds in the shot clock before getting off the shot. They weren't only taking, you know, quote, the extra pass. They were taking two and three extra passes down yeah, there. they
4: were. It, what's interesting is, you know, people sort of knock them for their style of play, but, you know, it takes a special type of player to be that disciplined within an offense, you know, and hats off to Bo Ryan for always being able to recruit the right guy into his program that want to play that type of game and can play that game for three four years at college you know coming in I you know after just a few possessions I realized you know, okay they really are going to slow this down it's going to be pretty easy for them to do And of course Syracuse is playing his zone and a lot of times a zone doesn't really press you a lot so it really wasn't about wearing down Syracuse physically it was more about wearing them down mentally because Syracuse is in a the zone they're not going to chase people around it was more about saying, "All right, can we dedicate ourselves to playing 30 seconds of defense, knowing they're probably not going to take a shot, and then can we really clamp down in the last five seconds?" And it worked some possessions, and sometimes it didn't. But that was what made the game interesting.
1: Absolutely. And then the uh, and then you know in the second half, uh, Wisconsin really opened it up with uh, you know hitting not uh, throughout the game they had 14 threes. And many of them, it seemed, in the second half. And uh, at one point, they hit six in a row. So, you know, they come out a bit of a different team, uh, you know, in the second half. I mean, it was close throughout. But, uh, again, they they showed a lot with hitting all those threes. And uh, and Jordan Taylor was just very, very impressive. Their point guard who has now played his last game for Wisconsin.
4: He has. He's gone, and it's too bad, obviously. He had a great career there. He was... You know, one of the better playmakers that that program has had in a while, like I said just a couple minutes ago, they don't normally get guys that can score off the dribble and create for themselves. But Taylor was able to do that for most of his career. Uh, So he was very important to them, and especially because he was their point guard. But yeah, he had a great night last night. He was the catalyst in making sure that that ball was getting rotated around the perimeter as quickly as possible to try and catch the orange zone off guard because really. They had no intentions of going inside. The only way they were going to get looks is to just rotate that ball as quickly as possible from side to side. And that's how they got their open looks. They, they, they made tough shots, but, you know, the Badgers also made open shots too, and that's because they were able to move the ball effectively.
1: Exactly. And, uh, of course, it all led up to what was a fantastic finish. Uh, again, just what you want in an NCAA tournament game. Uh, you know, it goes down to the final possession, Syracuse is holding a one-point lead, about 15 seconds to go. Wisconsin has the ball. The place, the garden, was going crazy at that point, uh, especially the Syracuse fans. And it was just, you know, an unusual ending. I don't know how else to say it. Number one, they needed two, not three, to win the game. And, you know, Syracuse, you know, played a very, very tough zone defense, needless to say, but... uh, you know the circumstances were a bit surprising the way it ended up, where Jordan Taylor had the ball. That's who they wanted to have the ball, and you know again tough zone, and he gave it up, and then uh, his teammate gave it right back to him, and he launched really uh, a long, somewhat off balance three. Uh, he missed, and teammate got the rebound, but he just had to do a heave from the side there. But what'd you think of the ending with that final possession for Wisconsin?
4: Well, when you get so one dimensional in a game, it's going to be easy to game plan or build a defense or play defense in the last possession, like you said. Wisconsin is down one point, but they still wanted nothing to do with a two pointer <laughs> They wanted right. to shoot a three pointer regardless. Syracuse was well aware of that, and they played around it and One thing I will say, and no one 's really talking about it is if you watch the last play. Cream Christmas is so far out of position on that shot. He literally lets, I think it was John Brusewitz just get right to the basket. He didn't box him out. Bruzewitz obviously didn't get a good look at the uh, at a rebound and shot, but had Taylor's shot been an air ball, it would have landed right in his hands, and Bruzewitz could have just laid it in. And it's really because Christmas was just standing there, and I hate, I hate to knock on the kid, but he was sort of assuming that that last shot was going, the buzzer was going to go off during the last shot, and that was not the case at all. So sort of an overlooked part of that last play, but something that really could have come back to bite the orange um, had Bruiswitz been able to get a good possession on the ball in a layup.
1: Exactly, and not to mention that, you know, when Taylor gave up the ball, uh, you know, his, his teammate, I mean, uh, there, were, there were some players, you know, underneath that he could have gone to, but instead he went back out to Taylor, who was, again, well outside the three-point line. So, you know, they could, they could have made a two-point play to win the game there.
4: Absolutely. And again, they wanted to part of a two-point game of making a two-pointer. I think they had 14 three-pointers made in this game, seven two-pointers. That's unbelievable. I know it's not the first time it's happened for this team, but for that much of a disparity between going inside and shooting the ball outside, it's just, it's unbelievable to see that in the box score.
1: Yes, no doubt about it. And uh, and on that final play, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, in my mind the most interesting player on the floor despite the fact that like for instance cj fair was the high scorer for syracuse but the most interesting player on the floor to me was uh was Dion waiters i mean just uh absolutely spectacular ball player and athlete and known for instant offense not for defense but on that final play that was he on jordan taylor and uh you know he defensed it well, I thought, that final shot. Yeah, I mean, he,
4: he got it done when he had to. I tweeted it last night that, speaking through his game, Dion Waiters uh, declared for the NBA draft. <laughs>
1: right, <laughs> because there you he go. He played
4: so well, you know, in terms of scoring off the dribble and creating for himself something that, like <laughs> I said, Wisconsin sort of lacks. Had maybe Syracuse been down a point when, with the ball in the last 10 seconds, Bayham could have probably run an isolation play for him or run something for him to create for himself, whereas Bo Ryan could not do that for his Badgers team. They had to execute an actual play or something, and it didn't really work out like that. But Waiters is that guy, really one of the only guys on the court last night that could score for himself. And the season he's had, I mean, it was just sort of, I know that they have one, maybe two, three games left to play, but I think that sort of sealed the deal for him that he's definitely a pro and someone that's ready for the NBA right now.
1: Yes, watching him up close and personal when they were at my end of the court, he, he was like watching a man among boys. I mean, mm-hmm. he was just, you know, a specimen, a physical specimen. And some of the athleticism he showed was uh, truly remarkable. And, uh, but, you know, at the en- end of the day, I mean, uh, kind of a little known fact that, you know, stat that came out of the game was that uh, uh, Syracuse. Uh, controlled the paint and they actually outscored Wisconsin 30 to 10 in the paint and at the end of the day I think that was probably
4: the key to the game it was i mean it was it was partly due to getting layups and easy buckets from guys like waiters going to the hoop uh, but another stat that stuck out to me and I know Wisconsin they weren't a great rebounding team this season but everyone talked about how bad Syracuse was at rebounding so for them to only allow eight offensive rebounds which was their lowest tied for their lowest this season, the first time they had allowed only single digit offensive rebounds in a game since I think Notre Dame when they lost that game uh, right. a while ago. Sure. Uh, that's important too. You know, you limit second chance opportunities. Um, you're shooting a ton of three pointers. I know that they you know, the batter shot fifty two percent from three point range, but you know, you miss threes. The ball can go anywhere. The ball will rebound long and that's a problem you can have in his own. So Hats off to the Orange for limiting second-chance opportunities for the Badgers.
1: Yes, and all this, of course, without uh, Fab Mello playing. They've clearly put that behind them. I mean, they had trouble in the opening game against UNC Asheville, obviously, when I think they were getting used to playing without Mello. But, uh, you know, now they have a couple games under their belt without him, and uh, they're back to being Syracuse, clearly a force to be reckoned with.
4: They are, and again, they're balanced and... That shows that, you know, everyone was worried about Melo, and then we said, well, wait, I thought they were one of the most balanced and deep teams in the country. Well, you know what? They still are, and they're showing that. Um, we'll be interesting to see how they match up against Ohio State and their big man, Jared Selinger.
1: Absolutely. That should be great. And speaking of Ohio State, uh, let's take a few minutes and discuss last night's Ohio State
4: uh, Cincinnati game. Interesting game to be sure. Interesting game. I was really looking forward to Yancey Gates versus Sullinger. Gates never really got going in the game. He was in foul trouble, had a tough time asserting himself. It really was about the Bearcats perimeter players getting offense or scoring points to keep the Bearcats in the game. They struggled to do so in the first half, and they also allowed Deshaun Thomas to score 20 points in the first half, which is why they were down uh, by 12 heading into halftime. That being said, they came up pretty strong in the second half and made a game of it even took the lead which was fun to watch. And again, it was really due primarily to their guards. You know, Wright, Kilpatrick, and Parker led this team last night. Kilpatrick's a great player. For a sophomore, he's really had a great year. And I think, yep. I don't know if he'll stick around. I think he probably will. He could, If he stays another season, he could have a great, you know, first-team All-Big East season next year. He's really grown up a lot. Um, Kashmir Wright, great player. He's got good ball handling. I thought he could have done a little bit better job distributing last night towards the end when the game was close and it was sort of hinging on, all right, is Ohio State going to pull this out, or is Cincinnati really going to make a game of this up until the buzzer? He was trying to do maybe a little too much on his own. You know, you have those guys on the wing that can help you out, and especially when you're up against Aaron Kraft, one of the best defenders in the country, it's going to be hard to just simply get one-on-one buckets like that. And, you know, I, know he, I think he led his team in scoring. Yes, he did. But I, I was a little concerned about how he went about doing that at times.
1: Yes, yes. Well, good points. And uh, what were your thoughts on watching Sollinger? First of all, had you ever seen him play before in person?
4: I have. I saw him in the Big Ten tournament two weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I really like Sollinger. Maybe it's more of an off-the-court thing. I think he's got a great personality and a great approach to the game.
1: You know, I agree. A lot of
4: people, you know, you were in the media room last night and even in yeah. Indianapolis. Everyone asks him about the NBA, you know? Sure. And it's more like the national media who haven't seen him yet, so they want to get that question out so they can write that story. And he does a great job of maybe not deflecting, but just sort of almost embracing it. (laughs) He he really doesn't seem concerned by it. He's focused on getting this team to the Final Four, and whatever happens to him at the next level, who knows? I, I, I do think that he may have struggles because how good is he back to the basket with his size? I don't know. Maybe not as good as I initially thought or we initially thought. He sort of improved his game stepping away from the basket, and that's what I'm really looking forward to in this game against Syracuse. Against the zone, I want to see him and Thomas sort of roam around uh, the middle of that zone. And if, if Sullinger and Thomas can hit those jumpers, I mean, that's, that's a huge plus for, for the Buckeyes, and that's sort of the next level of what Sullinger's game needs to do.
1: I agree. I agree. Uh, fascinating player and just as fascinating a personality. And uh, so, now, what do you think of, uh, you know, in an overall sense, what are your thoughts on tomorrow's matchup?
4: Well, I'm happy that we got the, the top two teams in the region. They're clearly the two best teams in the region uh, one and two seeds, well deserved. Like I said, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Ohio State attacks the zone. Like I said, Sullinger's doing a better job of stepping out and hitting those shots. Deshaun Thomas has showed he's a very versatile player when he puts his mind to it. He's a great inside-outside guy. He's been a huge help. When he's stepping up, it's so important for them because, remember, they don't have John Diebler or David Lighty who we found this season were really important to this Buckeye club over the past four years because they're two solid perimeter players. You lose those two guys, the onus really falls on Thomas and William Buford who was, really nowhere to be found last night so the onus really fell on thomas and he had a good game slowed down a bit in the second half but 21st half points shows what he's capable of and he could really pose matchup problems for the orange tomorrow
1: yes i think uh i think you're absolutely right on with that nick and uh well why don't we take our break now and uh Fortunately, Nick, uh, you're able to stick around for till the end of the show. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, tonight's uh, excellent matchups and and see what your thoughts are on that as well.
4: Absolutely. The opening kickoff is a beauty.
3: network fantasy sports is where the action really is over 40 million people play fantasy sports but rarely do they get to quiz the experts fantasy insights is the name and the game
1: Back to the show. Works America, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. Back on the line with us is Nick Fasulo of NBCSports.com and SB Nation, who, like me, is also covering the NCAA Eastern Regional up here in Boston. And, Nick, you and I were talking on the break just to finalize the Ohio State-Syracuse uh, discussion for tomorrow's championship game, and... Uh, I think Syracuse crowd, which was immense last night, is going to be even bigger tomorrow because the Orange supporters can literally jump in their cars on a Saturday morning and easily get to Boston in time for the game. So I think it's just going to create an absolutely incredible atmosphere tomorrow.
4: I agree. It definitely will, and you're right. The game's at 7, 7.30, so it's yep. a late game. You have all day to get to Boston. You've probably have, you got alumni and people in New York, Connecticut, all over the East Coast. Not a terrible drive. Whereas I think what Ohio State got last night in terms of fan support is probably what it's going to be, if not even less, than uh, you'll get that on Saturday than you did last night. So, yeah, it'll be a pro Syracuse crowd for sure.
1: Yeah, you can't really jump in your car in Columbus and drive to Mm-mm. Boston. Not unless you're getting in around uh, 1 a.m. this morning. That'd be yeah. about the only way. And, uh exactly. Yeah, and one of the interesting dynamics, of course, of an NCAA tournament weekend is and uh, i ran into an old friend walking out of the syracuse the first game last night after syracuse beat wisconsin and he was dressed in his orange and you know looking for tickets meaning he was obviously going to be tapping the wisconsin crowd yep for their tickets meaning they're going to head back to madison because their team's done and uh so again fascinating dynamic everybody knows that's how it works so all the more reason that uh, Syracuse people will be, you know, jumping in their cars because there will be tickets available. It's, it's a cottage industry that goes on at these tournaments, and it's really pretty fascinating. But tomorrow clearly favors Syracuse.
4: Yeah, quick quick little story. I, nine years ago, I was at the Garden for the first and second round games. It was actually the year that uh, Syracuse won the national championship. And you're right, first and second round games, you have even double the fan bases. So there's a ton of movement. The stadium's never filled, even though all the tickets are sold out. So even in between games, you have kids like me running around trying to not, you're not buying tickets, you're still in the arena, but at least getting a ticket from someone that's leaving. So if, if, you know, team one loses, they're going to bounce out of the arena and call it a day. So you can go down. Ask kindly, asking for their tickets, so we were able to do that, and you sneak into the uh, the losing team students section for the next two, three games. So right. um, you won't see that tomorrow, but you definitely saw a lot of it last night. You know, you get a person that's up in the row in the top row of the garden, and suddenly they're down on the third row um, in the Wisconsin section after they lost and left. That's <laughs> so exactly very right. Yes, yeah, so I've experienced it, and it is interesting to watch.
1: It really is, and uh, again, you know, it's. Oftentimes you see many seats be it in the if you're in the, inside the arena or obviously watching on TV but yet uh you know when you have a good game going on and you get down to the end, the enthusiasm is unlike anything else you'll mm-hmm. see anywhere totally uh it's incredible uh well although it's not happening in Boston, there are some great games going on today. the other half of the sweet sixteen we will call it and uh you know the one you got to love right off the bat the marquee matchup uh going back to that earlier game uh, and the classic ending is obviously Indiana Kentucky.
4: Yeah, I mean I got to think that the South region will be in terms of atmosphere around the arena or in the the, the dome uh will be crazy. Crazier than any other reason you got Kentucky which is probably the nuttiest fan base in the country. You have Indiana who is when they're on top of their game an equally as nutty uh student or Fan base you know this is a ba- those are two basketball first schools they 're facing off for a rematch. Indiana's the underdog, but Indiana beat Kentucky back in December in probably the most dramatic fashion as we 've seen in the past couple years i I got to think I would love to just be an Atlanta resident for the day and post up at a local watering hole and just observe the <laughs> back and forth banter leading up to tip off because that that and of itself is entertainment enough just to be down there. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, and I have a couple personal tastes of that matchup as well. Uh, Number one, I covered Kentucky down at Mohegan Sun in November. They had what I believe was the first ever Mohegan Sun tip-off classic. Kentucky was one of the teams, and I watched them play Penn State and attended John Calipari's press conference afterwards. And, uh, And, you know, Wildcat Nation was there in Forest, just absolutely dominating Mohegan Sun Arena, number one. Number two... When I was out in Indianapolis for the for Super Bowl week, I really, really got a flavor for how big IU basketball is, and and by that I just mean you know here in the midst of Super Bowl week, Mm -hmm. just everywhere I looked, uh, you know, people in Indiana University basketball uh, clothing and. Wanting to talk IU basketball, and and it was just great. I mean, I I just loved it. I've interviewed and know Coach Bob Knight, uh, who obviously made his name at Indiana. And (laughs) so I I just think it's great. Yeah, it's probably, it may be, you know, two of the top five tradition rich schools for basketball in the country. I mean, undoubtedly. So that's going to be great. We don't that up here, do we, John? Um, We don't.
4: A a lot of support for a college team, unfortunately. Um, Yeah, I've been to Indianapolis a couple times, and if you walk downtown, I mean, there's bars devoted to Indiana Hoosier basketball. It's almost like you're in Bloomington, and you just don't get that in a major city like uh, Boston and New York, although you kind of get those adopted bars that'll take in an alumni base. But this is, I mean, it really feels like you're on a college campus when you walk into some of these bars, and that just shows how passionate and important basketball is in that part of the country.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, another big matchup is obviously Ohio, North Carolina, big from, you know, the injury standpoint. Uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on that one? What do you, what do you foresee for that?
4: Well, what's interesting is, you know, maybe the biggest, you know, the, the last player that the heels could afford to lose, no matter who their opponent was, would be Kendall Marshall based on how he's been playing lately and how he makes everyone around him better to compound that problem without him assuming he doesn't play tonight is the strength of the Bobcats is in their backcourt. DJ Cooper is one of probably the most underrated point guards in the country. Now he has no offense to someone white, but someone that may look like a walk on guarding him as opposed to one of the top point guards in the country. And it opens up the entire floor for the whole Bobcats team. I still think North Carolina gets by Ohio tonight, with or without Marshall, but it's certainly going to make an impact. I mean, you're going to notice it quickly that D.J. Cooper can, can roam around the court a lot easier um, with Marshall not guarding him. So that'll be a very fascinating game to watch. No doubt about it. Uh,
1: and real quickly, we're under two minutes. Uh, a couple other games uh, today are, of course, Xavier who had the big brawl with Cincinnati, last night's uh, team we watched last night, versus Baylor and those uh, flashy uniforms. What are your thoughts on that game?
4: I'm excited. Uh, full disclosure, I am a Xavier grad, so I'm very excited. Ah, yeah. I don't think i
1: got to too. this then.
4: Yeah, I know. Um, so I am obviously excited that they're here. And I wrote about this a couple days ago that they, you know, Before the brawl, they were undefeated. They were a top 10 team, and they looked like a top 10 team. It was no mistake. I mean, they have top 10 talent, and then, you know, everything that happened with the fallout, they fell out of the rankings and everything. But now, they could essentially be considered as the two seed in this region. Duke lost. They got to play a 15 seed and a 7 seed to get to the Sweet 16. That's just what a 7 seed, or excuse me, a two seed almost always does, and that's what they just did. So I think you almost have to consider everything that happened between the brawl and this very moment as irrelevant. They are where they need to be. They're for the most most part healthy. It's the same roster, so you have to con- treat them almost like you treated them uh, in early December.
1: Right, right. Excellent, excellent uh, viewpoint on that. And Ohio really is the only quote Cinderella left. Uh, you know, left in the Sweet Sixteen now, trimmed down a little bit, but. Uh, the other game is North Carolina State versus Kansas. Kansas with the big comeback last Sunday night. Uh, what do you see in that game, Nick?
4: Well, I've I've been impressed with how the Wolfpack have played and they have to be their fan base has to be ecstatic. In year one of Mark Gottfried's tenure, he's gotten him to this point. He's got a great recruiting class coming <laughs> in next season. And frankly, they didn't really want him there. I think people sort of laughed when he was the hire when he was hired. They wanted a bigger name. They wanted Sean Miller, Rick Barnes, something like that. And frankly, I never thought that would happen. So when they hired Godfrey, I said, okay, that's a suitable pick. But I don't think that their fans really are appreciative of it. But here he is in year one. He's in the Sweet 16. He could certainly beat Kansas the way they've been playing. They actually have the athleticism, for the most part, to match up with the Jayhawks. And the Jayhawks are sort of thin on the perimeter. They've gotten good production from Eliza Johnson lately, but... It really comes down to Thomas Robinson and Jeff Withie down low. And if either of those guys get in foul trouble, you know, the game opens wide up and North Carolina State could be playing in the Elite Eight, which would be amazing when you consider what they did this regular season, but not really how they have played this tournament. I've been impressed with how they played in March.
1: I agree. I agree. And uh, finally, we're under a minute just to close out the show. Tomorrow, another great matchup, Elite Eight, that would be, which is. Uh, Louisville versus Florida, student versus teacher. What do you think about that game, Nick?
4: Well, I think that that storyline is going to get played out a lot here in the next uh, twenty-four hours. Well, rightfully so. I mean, it's a, it's a great story. Um, Florida, again, sort of like Xavier, and I'll do, I'll wrap this up quick. Is they're a seven seed. They're much better talent-wise than a seven seed, but here they are. They're they're really in a spot where you would have expected them to be coming into the season. So while they had a rough February, that's irrelevant now. They have the talent. They could easily get to the Final Four. And it's just funny how the NCAA tournament, being such a big field and unpredictable, can really distort a historical perspective. You know, if, if Xavier were to move on to the Elite Eight and Florida were to go on to the Final Four, in five years we will completely have forgotten how their regular seasons were, were tumultuous based on what they did in the tournament.
1: Excellent. You're, re- you're totally right about that. And, Nick, I just want to thank you for... Taking the time. Obviously, the TV Picks of the Weekend is just March Madness all weekend long, and you were great to have you on. We really enjoyed your perspective, Nick.
4: Thank you, John. I appreciate it, and I'm sure I'll I'll bump into you tomorrow night.
1: I look forward to it, and as always, Voice America, thank you for listening to All Around Sports, and we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.